Again, that's Genesis 25, 19 through 23, or 30, 19 through 34, beginning in verse 19. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Paddan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife, because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, prayer and Rebekah his wife conceived. The children struggled together within her room, womb, and said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and, said to the, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two people from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, the older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak, so they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter and a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man, dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came from the field, and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, Let me eat some stew. Let me see, eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore his name was called Edom. Jacob said, Sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I am about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, Swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 25. We finished Daniel. Some of you are, I thought I was going to get a praise the Lord or hallelujah or amen or something. Bo, I thought I was going to get amen from you, Chris Mack. I, I don't know why you didn't amen, son. If you got no amen ever, you would amen right then. But it, uh, we were helped by the book. We were helped by God's word as we studied Daniel. Um, and we'll really be helped in about a year. We're going to study, in a couple weeks we'll start the pastoral epistles, First, Second Timothy, and Titus. We'll teach through those, and Lord willing... Um, we'll study through the book of Revelation and some of those things we've learned, yep, it's going to be really helpful when we go through the book of Revelation. And so, um, thanks for our small group leaders. That was a no easy task to teach through those texts, but I'm pre- I appreciate you. But we're going to take a couple of weeks. Um, today, I've, there's a, I, I preached at the Covenant High School Baccalaureate service, and there was uh, it was a real short message, something I didn't get to flesh out much, but what I want to do today is share part of that today, um, so those of you that were there, you'll just have to bear with me, um, but I just want to share that with you. I think that's a message that uh, is going to be helpful for our church. Uh, next week, we're going to focus on fathers, teach about fathers. It's Father's Day, and um, for the past six, seven years, um, I've been in um, Kansas City. At, on this mission trip, we do it the same week every year, and so I'll be there. Lord, thank the Lord, I'll be with my family, uh, but some of you will, will not be with your kids. I uh, recognize that, but we're going to do something we haven't done, and we're going to focus on fathers next next week. And so we're thankful for um, uh, Chris McWilliams, Chris Wilkes, going to help us with that, lead the service next week. Jamie and Rodney are going to lead the music, and we're thankful for them willing to do that, but we're going to focus on fathers next week, and then uh, we're going to have a baptism service uh, the week after that, and we're going to teach on baptism, and then the following week, we're going to start First Timothy, so a uh, lot going on, and, and we, I know we're going to have a lot of people in and out, especially in July, and that's when we always encourage people to take vacation in July, because June is really busy, 
with all the ministry and things that we're doing. But, um, but anyway, Genesis chapter 25. Uh, appreciate Bryce reading our teaching text, verses 19 through 34. Let me tell you where we are in redemptive history. And probably I'm doing this because on Wednesday night we've been We've been studying uh, the story of the Bible, the story of redemptive history. And, and what I mean by that is not just what this, the Bible is about, but actually the story, the chronological story of the Bible. And it's been really helpful for us. Uh, we've done this. We try to do this every few years. It's probably the most helpful thing I've ever done as a student of the Bible is to learn what we're learning on Wednesday nights. So if you're like, well, I haven't been able to be here. Well, if you want to come Wednesday night, you'll see what we're doing. I think it'll be helpful for you. But because we're doing that, I'm gonna, what I want to do this morning is, is kind of Genesis 25. I want to let you know where we are in redemptive history, okay? So God has created the world. God created the world using his own words, and he created everything that we see. And he created man and woman, Adam and Eve, and he put them in the garden. And he told Adam and Eve that they could eat from any and every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if they eat from that tree, they'll surely Die. Well, they rebelled against the Lord at the encouragement of the devil, and as a result, their relationship with God was broken. They were cast out of the garden. Paradise was lost. But although sin entered the world and the world was now broken, God gave them hope. Part of the curse of the fall, especially the curse of the serpent, Satan, was that a descendant of the woman would crush the head of the snake. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He's speaking, God's speaking to the serpent. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. In other words, the enmity of God, or the enemy of God, the, the devil himself would oppose the Lord. But in time, the God of the universe would raise up a, a serpent crusher to defeat the foe of God. From that point on, sin's effect was seen. Cain killed Abel, and it got worse and worse and worse. In time, God chose a man, Abram, and he chose him to become a, a nation, a great nation, a people who would be called God's people. And God promised Abram that he would make him into a, a great nation. He would give him land. Those that bless him, God would bless. And those that cursed him, God would curse but lastly, he promised, through you, Abram, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Abram trusted what God said. He, he believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Well, God changed his name to Abraham and gave him a son in his old age, Isaac. Isaac married Rebekah, and they had twins, the twins we read about this morning. Jacob and Esau. And verse 23 of our teaching text tells us that the older shall serve the younger. And that's interesting. Because in the custom of the day, the, the oldest son had the birthright. That means he got a double portion of the inheritance. In fact, all firstborn sons belong to God. They received special honor because they symbolized their father's power and influence. And we know from the story of Abraham and Isaac that the serpent crusher would come from their line. And it should have been Esau's family line. 
But verse 34 of our teaching text tells us that Esau despised his birthright. He cared nothing about it. In fact, he preferred a bowl of soup over it. Now let's pause for a second in the story. One thing that we know for certain is that God's word will come true. God does everything he says he will do. God used Esau's disdain for his birthright and Jacob's ambition to keep his word. The main point of the text today is that although Esau despised his birthright and although Jacob was a little manipulative and conniving, God accomplished his purpose. God made a great nation from Isaac, from Jacob, and from that nation, the serpent crusher came. All right, let me tell you the rest of the story. Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, had 12 sons. They were the 12 tribes of Israel. And one of the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus took on flesh. He became a man 2,000 years after the promise God gave Abraham. Jesus lived and he died. And the death he died was a unique death. It was a sacrificial death. See, all people die because of their sin. Jesus died because of our sin. He died to make atonement for our sin. He died for sinners. He was buried just like any other ordinary person, but Jesus was no ordinary person, was he? The serpent, the devil who deceived Eve, this same devil was instigating those involved in arresting Jesus, wanting to see the Son of God put to death, and it actually happened. Jesus was hung on a cross where he died, and then he was buried. But on the third day, Jesus rose so that sinners like you and I could be made right with God. See, we don't have to be separated from God anymore. We can be reconciled to Him through Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. I'm sorry, 1 Peter 3, 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. I love that verse. Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us, us sinners, to God. And the head of the serpent was crushed. Isn't that awesome? Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection was a fulfillment of that promise in Genesis 3.15. And when Jesus returns, Jesus is going to return. He does everything he said he'll do, right? His word always comes true. When he returns, Satan will be thrown into the lake of fire along with all those who are separated from God. God will accomplish His sovereign purpose according to His will. The God who created all things and established His covenant with Abraham cannot be thwarted in His purposes to bless all peoples. See, God is not bound by the conventions of culture or family dynamics, but He overrules all those realities to accomplish His redemptive purpose. It's interesting, if you know that story, 
God overcame Sarah's old age. He overcame her barrenness. She was 90, and Abraham was 100 when she gave birth to Isaac. And Rebekah was married 20 years before she conceived. I think this should encourage us to submit ourselves to, to God and give ourselves fully to His purposes. When we do that, we'll, we're truly blessed. Now let's look at Isaac and Esau and Jacob for a moment. Let's think about this attitude that Esau had towards his birthright. These generations of Isaac, Abraham's son, Isaac was married. He had two boys. The oldest, we read in our story today, sold his birthright. He had the attitude that many of us have been encouraged to have. Even I think this week we probably heard this either in a, in a, on a TV show uh, or um, in a com- commercial or maybe from a, a co-worker. You've heard this sermon. We get preached at, not just on Sunday morning, we get preached at all through the week, right? By the things we hear, by the things we see by what we watch, by the people we're around. We're preached at all the time. Well, you've heard this sermon, that's a UBU. Probably heard that this, this week. Or you might have heard this, don't let anyone keep you from being you and accomplishing your dreams. Maybe some of you that are that you had three graduates, so they heard that a lot leading up to graduation, right? So I probably came in and was a bummer for me to speak at their baccalaureate service to say, those things aren't true. <laughs> Don't do that, right? Be true to yourself. You heard that one recently? Be true to yourself. You read that or heard that recently? Esau's life is a story of a man who traded his soul for fleeting pleasure. He sold his birthright, which included not only material benefits and family privileges, but spiritual blessings as well. He sold it for a, a bowl of soup. In the law, Mosaic law, Deuteronomy 21, 17, the, the right of the firstborn talks about a double share of the father's inheritance, but he shall acknowledge the firstborn. This, this text, this law is given, talking about um, a, a man who has two wives. There's always trouble when you have more than one wife, Right? You have two wives, and you love one more than the other, and what do you do about their kids? This is what this is referring to. But he shall acknowledge the firstborn. Doesn't matter who your wife is. Your firstborn is your firstborn, right? The son of the unloved, by giving him a double portion of all that he has, for he is the firstfruits of his strength. The right of the firstborn is his. This is a big deal. This birthright was really important. Look in the Bible. Look at verse 34. Or look at 29. We'll read through this again. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and was exhausted. Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. And Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I am about to die. I'm about to starve to death. Right? Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, well, swear to me now. Well, give it to me. 
So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Look at verse 34. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew. He ate and he drank and rose and went his way. Like it wasn't nothing. Thus Esau despised his birthright. He ate and he drank, he rose and he went on his way. He didn't have a second thought about it. He ate the the soup, he ate the stew, it felt good. Only much later did he come to regret it. But that's just Esau being Esau. That was just Esau being true to himself. Last Sunday on Twitter, I don't have a Twitter handle. Kevin, do you have a Twitter handle? He's got a handle, though. He's a truck driver. You call Kevin Boozer during the week, you don't say, hey. You say, hey, what's your 20? What's your 20? He's teaching me some of the lingo, right? Um, yeah, I don't have a Twitter, Twitter handle or anything like that. I'm, I'm, uh, I don't do social media. In fact, people have to tell me, hey, did you see what so-and-so put on social media? And I'll say, yeah, tell, call him and tell him, take that off. That's bad. But last Sunday, I was reading some news, and Magic Johnson wished his son, EJ, happy birthday, his 31st birthday. And the tweet read, happy birthday to my son, EJ. I love your pure heart and creativity. Keep living your truth. It's what I love about you most. Have a great day. Now, EJ's a an advocate of the LGBTQ community. And he's known a lot for his uh, androgynous choice of fashion. You're like, androgynous, what's that mean? Well, it means that his clothes, you don't know if it's men's clothes or women's clothes, and it just may be different every, every other day, right? But EJ, by his father and his mother, being encouraged to continue to be true to himself, to live his own personal subjective truth, now, that's what you call a, an oxymoron, subjective truth. They don't go together, right? Jude speaks about truth. Jude chapter 3, this small letter devoted to the theme of believers standing for the truth, right? Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Contend for the faith, this truth, right, that was delivered once for all, meaning it's truth. Truth is, can be applied by all people's in all times and all places. It doesn't change. It's not subjective. Truth is truth. Psalm 119, verse 89. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Same, Same Psalm, verse 160. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Makes us think about Isaiah 40, verse 8. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Yeah, you got that truth. It's true. True then, true today, it'll be true tomorrow. And I titled this message, 
Should I be true to myself and other lofty questions? You're probably not shocked, but the world would be shocked if I was to tell them that they shouldn't be true to themselves. They shouldn't live out their truth. They shouldn't find their true self and then be courageous enough to live it out. And even if I make those statements, they're a little hyperbolic. You say, well, is there ever a case where you shouldn't be true to yourself? No, there is. I'll explain in, in a moment. But the world is screaming at us, preaching at us to be true to ourselves. Live our truth. Live your truth. First point today. Truth is an objective fact that exists independently from human opinion. Okay? It's a Bible. It's a pew Bible. It's black. It's black. Now, Rodney might say it's pink. He might say it's pink. He might think it's pink. But he can't confuse personal opinion with the nature of reality. So our opinions may or may not conform to the way things really are, but the truth doesn't change simply because we have different ideas or opinions. Well, that's not my truth. Again, truth is doesn't change. True today, true yesterday, and be true tomorrow. Truth is not fluid. It doesn't change with the culture. Truth can also be called moral absolutes, and moral absolutes exist. For example, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is improper among saints. There are more absolutes. This verse says there should be no sex outside of marriage. Don't even have a hint of it in your life. No sexual immorality. But you might, you might hear people say, well, but we really care for each other. We're eventually, we're going to get married. You heard that, right? I've heard that this last week, matter of fact. We've made a commitment to one another in our hearts. And that's what counts, right? What are these statements? Their opinions and their excuses. What's true? God doesn't desire you to be sexually immoral. Whether you're going to be or not, it's up to you. He doesn't want you to be sexual, sexually immoral. And to be promiscuous outside of marriage is, is wrong. Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. What commandment is that? Fifth. There you go, Mr. Mickey. Hey, students, you ain't going to beat Mr. Mickey in a Bible drill. You ain't going to beat him in a Bible drill. I know you've all, you had, you had your review this morning. You all had a competition. I was, don't, don't play against Mr. Mickey. We ain't going to be gambling. But if pastor gambles, I'm putting it on Mr. Mickey. All right. Exodus 20, verse 12, the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother. You just don't know, man. My parents' rules are just stupid. 
I shouldn't have to be home that early on the weekend. Nobody with any sense will require their kid to do what my parents require me to do. I should be able to make my own decisions. I'm 16 for crying out loud. Kids, there's a reason by, for all the adults laughing, because that's really funny. What are these statements? They're just opinions and they're excuses for somebody's rebellion. Rebellion against the truth. God says, honor your parents. It doesn't matter if it makes sense. It doesn't matter if it's what you think is right or what you think you should do. Or blah, blah. Just honor your parents, right? And sometimes we, even as Christians, we're, maybe we're tempted to, to use statements that the world uses, like live your truth or this is my truth and this is true for me. We might have a tendency to say those, and this is why. I think one of the reasons we say some of those things is live our truth. It makes us, kind of empowers us. It makes us feel like, kind of godlike. You know, it's kind of like, oh, this is my truth and kind of thing. But I think especially when we share, when we're sharing with other people, we're talking to other people about true things, true statements, the gospel, we might be tempted to call well, we share my truth because we think it keeps us from appearing like we're better than somebody. So it kind of takes them the sting out, maybe. Or maybe just help avoid being controversial. Well, you know, this is, this, is, this is what I think. This is true to me. But there's a problem with saying those things. That really shouldn't be part of our vocabulary. Liana Davis, she, she writes this. She says, But only when we unapologetically present Christ's claims do we portray him as God. Speaking about when we try to share truth and we, we say, Well, this is my truth and this is true for me. There's no salvation, she writes, in a my truth gospel whose deity becomes God only to those who want him. So I'd be really careful about using this language. These statements that the world's preaching at us, be true to yourself, live your truth, it sounds, sounds good, but it flies in the face of truth itself. We call it expressive individualism. This expressive individualism worships the, the freedom to express our uniqueness against restrictions. We don't like restrictions, anything that causes us to have to conform to something. Rules and, and what church promotes as morality, it, it encourages a, a conformity. We're to conform to God's desire, to His will, to His word. But those by the world are often viewed as a threat to their personal expression. It's threatening. This expressive individualism, it holds that each person ought to be able to define his or her own identity. Even if their identity, what they're claiming, is at odds with objective reality, things that don't even make sense. You talk to people in, in the workplace, maybe across the fence, a neighbor, and they, they're saying things. That's not even logical, what people are saying. But it doesn't even matter sometimes, as long as they're not hindered. 
Let me be me. You be you. Let me live my truth. You live your truth. And also, the expression of that identity becomes a, a path to happiness. Anyone who questions or opposes that that identity, no matter what it is, is seen as a threat. Denny Burke, he writes this, Expressive individualism is deeply embedded in our cultural consciousness. It's why this transgenderism, it's why it's recently gained such a foothold in the hearts and minds of otherwise reasonable people. Speaking about transgenderism, he says, this is premised on the notion that every person ought to be able to define his or her own individual gender, gender identity, even if that psychological identity is at odds with their biological sex. Furthermore, the expression of that gender identity is the path to happiness. Anyone who opposes that is a tyrannical obstacle to that person's health and happiness. What's the world doing? It's screaming at you. It's preaching at you. Preaching at me. Be true to yourself. Live your truth. Can we do that and be blessed? I I don't think so. In fact, we look at Esau as a test case. Again, what's the main point of this text? The main point of this text is we see God overcoming the sin of these two men to accomplish his will, right? Abraham's going to have a a son in the line of Jacob that's going to be the serpent crusher. But we see Esau. He comes in from the field. He'd been hunting or fishing or something manly, right? He looked, he carried himself, he even smelled like a man. Kind of like a Jeremiah Johnson type figure. He's impulsive, he's demanding, he's all dude. And his daddy loved him for it. He was his daddy's favorite. Well, he's tired and he's hungry. He's got low blood sugar. We've all been there, haven't we? Well, I could eat a horse. I'm hungry as a bear, right? It says he was exhausted. Verse 29 says that Esau was exhausted. And we just imagine, I'm about to starve to death, you know? How many times have we said that and actually be true? It wasn't true for Esau either. But he's consumed with his desires, and his desire deceived him. Proverbs chapter 14 verse 12 tells us there's a way that seems right to a man but its end is the way to death I mean in this time of hunger and this time of weakness and we, we get it my, my, my metabolism it run, it's running all the time right it's running all the time I don't eat for a day or so and I lose a bunch of weight um, I don't eat a lot I just eat often and my my, my, my son's the same way Seth's a sweet kid. He's an obedient kid. I don't have too much trouble out of Seth. Y'all know Seth. But Seth gets hungry. Seth got to eat. He gets that from my daddy and my sister's the same way, right? It's time to eat. We got to eat now, right, Loanda? We got to eat. What time are we eating? Well, let's eat. Okay, we're going to eat this little while. They want to eat right now, right? But there's just something that you get, start getting irritable and agitated. We, we, you know, I understand that for sure. I mean, you can just imagine him coming in, wanting that soup and willing to give up his birthright, taking the soup and just, right? 
wiping his mouth up on his sleeve and giving a big old belch. And, oh, that was good. That hit the spot. Just kind of walking on out, right? Kevin DeYoung, he writes, Esau was not made nobler for satisfying his wants. He's made lower. He was a hunter, but fell prey to his own appetites. He was the firstborn. He had something sacred, but he threw it away for something fleeting and temporal. He disregarded his birthright and treated it with irreverence. Just Esau being Esau. And we're told, especially students, you're in school, public schools, you've been told your identity is found in what you want, your desires. So if we deny our desires, we're denying who we are. Should we be true to ourselves and do whatever seems right to us? I, I don't think so. I don't think that's what's best for you, nor do I think that living our own truth is going to honor the Lord in many cases. In fact, if you think about Esau, if he would have denied his desires and not given up his birthright, it would have been better for him. That had been the right thing to do, right? It would have been better for him. We're like Esau in a lot of ways. We're sinful, right? Not just our actions, but our thoughts. And in fact, the, we're corrupt in every part of our being. There's not a part of us that's not affected by our sin, and that's also our want to. All of us, left to ourselves, our want to is corrupt. We're going to want, desire things that the Lord doesn't desire for us. Romans chapter 3 gives a, a real clear picture. Paul is addressing sinfulness of man, not just for the Jew, or not just for the Gentile, but also for the Jew. And so that's what he's doing in Romans chapter 3. He's letting the Jews know that you're sinful too. Not just the Gentile, pagan. No, you, you are too. You share in that depravity. Verse 10 of chapter 3 of Romans, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their, sweet, their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery. And the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's us people in general, right? Romans chapter 8, verse 7 tells us that the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Before Christ, we're, we have our minds set on the flesh. The problem with you being you is that you're sinful and I'm sinful. And many things that we decide to do or want to do is not what's best for us. Proverbs 12, 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. So, kind of wrap this up and bring it back full circle. So when I say you shouldn't be true to yourself or the, you shouldn't live your own individual truth, again, that may be a little bit of an overstatement because there are some of us here who've yielded to the Lord. We've repented and trusted Christ. We've 
repented, turned from living for ourselves, and we're trusting Christ and what He did for us on the cross for our salvation. And what happens, we're given the Holy Spirit that seals us, empowers us, changes us, leads us, counsels us, right? So some of us, we've died to ourselves. We've died to sin, and we're alive to Christ. Second point, only the born-again believers should be true to themselves. That's my point. So I say, don't be true to yourself. Well, that, that's true, but it may be an overstatement. Ashley can be true to herself if she's died to sin. Sin no longer lives in her, and she's yielded to the Lord, and she wants to obey the Lord. Jesus, in John chapter 12, Truly, truly, Jesus says, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So the world's preaching that you should be true to yourself. Jesus says, you need to first die to yourself, die to sin, and then and only then can you be true to yourself. That makes sense? You be you. Stacy, you be you if you're yielded to the Lord. If you're born again and you're yielded to the Lord, walking in the Spirit. The real you is worth letting out if the real you is dead to sin and alive to Christ. So the big question is coming, right? Crescendo. Yeah, the big question is, are you, have you died to sin? Have you repented and trusted Christ? Have you surrendered your life to Jesus? And if, by way of application, if you've yet to repent and trust Christ, if you're not born again, if you don't have the confidence that if you died today, you would be with the Lord for all eternity, What you need to do is you need to repent and trust Christ. You need to turn from your sin, living for yourself. You need to die to sin. Cry out to God and ask Him to forgive you and save you. Commit your life to following after Him and obeying Him and pleasing Him. And then be true to yourself. Then you be you. The world's telling us a bunch of lies. People in the world are embracing things that aren't even logical. Let's us be us this week, church. Be yielded to the Lord. Seeking to obey Him in everything. Loving people the way He loved people. Forgiving people like He forgave people. Serving people like He served people. Let's give him glory and honor with our lives. Let's pray. Father, we, we are thankful. Thankful for your word. And Lord, we've got a lot of examples. Some good examples, some bad examples. We see a bad one today. Esau, 
him just being Esau, living in the flesh, living for temporal pleasure, giving up things that are precious and wonderful for things that are temporal and fleeting. And Father, there may be some here who's, that's their, that's their life. They live for the here and now and things that aren't important. They got all their energy and all their time and all their effort invested in things that are going to burn up and be nothing when you return. Father, I pray that you bring conviction on that heart, that they would see their sin the way you see it. They would see how beautiful, as we talk about your beauty, the king and all his beauty. May they see you in all your beauty. And may they see their sin the way you see it. And may they have a desire to turn from their sin and trust you. Father, we are thankful. There's so many in this room, in this sanctuary that's been changed by the power of the gospel. And we do want to obey you in everything. We want to please you. We want to live holy lives. We want to be loving and caring and grace-giving. Father, help us to do that this week as we go to work, as we go home, as we go to Kansas City. Help us as a, a church to love like you want us to love. Pray for our small groups tonight that you would bless them, that they would have a sweet time together. For Wednesday night study, that it would be pleasing to you, that we'd be encouraged. And Father, give us grace as we travel to Kansas City. Use us next week to encourage that church. Father, for those in our congregation that are traveling, that are out and about, we pray for help for them, that they would think about you and keep them safe as they come home. Bless our children as they're on the way home. Just bless those adults that took them and give them a lot of grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.